Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Hi everyone, welcome to America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. I'm so excited. We have my brother in studio today and You know, this being a particular month in the United States of America, which is known as Pride Month, I tell you, this is a month for us to be really, really proud to be having conversations like this. Sit back, relax, and share with your friends a conversation that it's all about inclusion, diversity, acceptance, determination, courage, and honesty. As I sit and have a conversation with Prince Manvendra Singh Gohil, from the Rajpipla dynasty. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. I've enjoyed our time together that has been spent. Thank you so much for having me here. You have one of the warmest hearts I've ever met in the Prince. Thank you. And I was telling you how many of my friends belong to various royal dynasties, and so it's nothing new for me to sit and have a heart-to-heart conversation with a culture that many people don't really understand. What was it like growing up in your world? Tell us a little bit about maybe the first 15 years. Many people ask me this question, how are you different than us? I tell them that though we don't have the powers to rule as we had in the past before India got independent, still we are the custodian of this rich cultural heritage which we have inherited from our ancestors. And our dynasty is pretty old. It dates back to the 13th century, so it's now more than 600 years of our dynasty. I'm the 39th direct descendant of this Gohil dynasty dating back to 1380. So we are groomed by our retainers, by our staff, by our people of the kingdom to be the future custodian. And the entire grooming happens since the time you're a child to prepare us for the future. In fact, one of the interesting things which I would like to tell you is that When I was born, and I was born as the first male child of the family, as the Crown Prince of Rajpipla, my name was actually registered with the Ministry of Home Affairs Government of India. That doesn't happen in any other family. My birth itself made a difference. When I was growing up, all the etiquettes, all the protocols of the do's and don'ts and were taught, we were brought up in a very protected atmosphere. And there are certain expectations which people have from us. How we sit, how we behave, how we talk in public, how we walk, everything matters and we are always in the public eye. Our lives are not private. We are being watched. Now people tell me, oh, you're facing media. So I said, well, I've been facing media since I was five years old. You know, I've been coming in the newspapers. My birth itself came in the media. I remember I was just a child of nine years old. I was invited as a chief guest for a school annual event and I was put on the stage and made to address the whole school, the students, the teachers, that doesn't happen in other families, you know, <laughs> so that's how it's different. But one thing which 
I like to share is that there is no love and affection between us and our parents. We well, not live- like average people, where average people kiss and hug yes, and mold each other. That. In fact, I wasn't even raised by my mother. I was raised by my nanny, yeah. a governess, who was an employee, a staff of the royal family. In fact, she raised my mother as well. So I was the second generation she raised. When I was very young, I always thought she was my mother because mm-hmm. she was the one who used to take care of me right since the time I get up in the morning till I go to sleep. She used to sleep next to me mm-hmm. and sing me a lullaby. So naturally, I mean, somebody who takes care of you, you think that she is the mother. And when I came to a certain age, I used to argue with her when she used to tell me that she is not my mother. And I would cry and then make a fuss about it. She would say, no, I don't even resemble you. And I said, yeah, she is a beautiful woman with a lot of makeup and all. But she cannot <laughs> be my mother because she doesn't talk to me. Oh, wow. So I have grown up with that in my But that's see, a very uh, common thing, you know, in yeah, many royal families. Yeah. That's very common, but people yes. don't talk about it. That's they don't the know about it because it's so normal yeah, for you. Exactly. But for us, yeah. we're like, oh, you should have been hugged and yes, yes. cajoled by yeah. your parents. So I, I have missed those things in life, biological parents. In fact, sometimes I have even heard people telling me, is she really your mother? Is she your stepmother? Mm-hmm. And then I would say, well, she is my mother. She has given birth to me. I mean, your mothers are showing their affection towards you, but my mother doesn't. I mean, I have my nanny who does it. So that has been my childhood. So you're out there and you're speaking on stages at age nine and you're taken care of by your nanny and you're groomed. I like the way you use that word. I was groomed how to sit, how to walk, how to talk, how to eat. And usually I know in the British royal dynasty, you never get a picture of them eating. It's like against the law. So these seem like small things to the average person. But to individuals who know that you're upholding a kingdom, you are upholding a legacy, a rulership, it's huge because it's about your principles and your values. There was something about you that was really going on inside of you behind your eyes, which maybe your nanny knew but didn't even know how to articulate it. There was a part of you that was not feeling that you were what you saw in the mirror. Could you talk about that to us? So when I was going through the adolescent stage that's when normally we kind of discover ourselves and discover our sexual self if i may be more specific and i studied in a co-education school where we had boys and girls together but i was never attracted towards the opposite sex i have a lot of girlfriends i still have a lot of girlfriends but i never was attracted towards them on the contrary i used to not like when the boys used to bully the girls so i used to come and stand by them and protect them and all the girls were extremely fond of me they would all come to me and then share their lunch boxes and all that with me because they were very fond of me they didn't like the boys they liked me and i used to wonder that why i'm the only boy does like this the boys in my class they are pulling the hair they're pulling ponytails of the girls and i didn't like the way they used to behave and i didn't know why i'm behaving in this manner why this attraction is there towards the same I mean, I had attraction, but I didn't like the boys in that matter. You know, like I didn't like to make friends with them, but I had an attraction towards them. I had no answer to that question because we were raised in such a protected atmosphere. And main thing was there was no exposure to the outside world at all. When I mean exposure, like there was no chance that I could talk to somebody else. It was always guarded, always somebody was there with me. So there was no chance given And in those days, there was no access to social media or cell phones, which are there now. We just had one landline. And that also was 
monitored, not available and accessible to you all the time. And my nanny was absolutely uneducated. She had no understanding of any sort, which I could go to her and tell. So I kind of grew up thinking, maybe this is a passing phase in my life. I'll come out of it. Maybe I'm the only one of this sort who's having this kind of a behavior. I don't know whether it is a disease or is something wrong with me. Why am I different? I had no clue or no answer to my question. It must have been a lonely period for you. I mean, not just lonely being in the palace, but just lonely with these feelings. Yes. And you know, many times people have asked me, who are your friends when you're growing up? I would tell them that my friends were animals and birds. I used to rescue especially birds when I was a child, because in India, we have this kite festival and a lot of birds get injured when kites are flying in the sky and they just come in between and Kites captured their space, basically. (laughs) Whenever any bird would get injured, I would bring it home, nurse them, bandage them, and then release them. So I loved animals and I loved birds. And I had rescued some birds and those birds refused to leave me and go away. They lived with me. They would not like to go back to their homes. They were my friends. I kind of lived with them, animals, my birds, the plants. They were my friends. I had no friends in humans. It's interesting because from the outside in, when we look at your life and many other lives of royalty, it is so large. And then when you go inside these walls, it is large in terms of its principles, its ethics, its values, but it's yet so simple. And when you talk about your birds and your animals were your friends, the outside world would think that you had a million people who were your friends because they could see that. So when you reach that particular point where you could not keep these feelings inside of you anymore, what was that point that was the turnaround for you that said, I have to be myself? What was happening with you on the inside? And what gave you the courage to say, I have to be me? I have to let everybody know this is who I am. I used to call myself a person who's living in a prison, in a prison, in a prison. So I'll explain how that is. First of all, to be born in a royal, I won't say prison, but yeah, kind of a protected area. When you're born in a royal family, you have to accept the fact that you'll be born with a lot of protocols and protections and all that. So that was one area of protection which I had. The other area was I came to terms with my sexuality, but I wasn't open about it. So that was another prison within me that I am born a royal family, I am born as a gay. And the third thing was that I was not comfortable talking about it because I was scared how people would react. Mm-hmm. That's why I say I was in a prison, in a prison, in a prison. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have to break free from this because this is too suffocating a world. You can't just keep living in this atmosphere where you're not given the freedom, you're not given the independence of who you want to be and who you are. I give this example of a dog which is chained. Dog is an animal which needs freedom. Or for Mm -hmm. example, you have a bird in a cage. You need to give that bird the freedom to fly. Otherwise, it doesn't have a meaning to that bird's life. So I said, I have to break these shadows. I have to break these prisons and set myself free. It had reached to that point in my life that I couldn't take it anymore. And therefore, I broke all my three prisons, (laughs) my three shackles in which I was confined to. I kind of just broke loose and just set myself free. How did it feel the day after? 
I sincerely felt a sense of big relief that a big burden has come down my shoulders because I never liked to live a hypocrite's life. I always wanted to live life of truth and honesty, true to myself and true to others. But I was being forced to live a life of lie and a double life, which wasn't comfortable to me. And it was always pinching me from inside that, no, I'm doing something wrong. When you realize you do something wrong, then comes fear. So there are multiple consequences mm-hmm. to that. It's just not one thing. One thing leads to another, that leads to a third thing. So when all that was removed, I came to a state where I was living the life of honesty, the life I wanted to live without fear. Therefore, when people asked me, but everyone was against you, then why weren't you scared? I said, well, my biggest fear was that I was not truthful to myself. Yeah. So when I started becoming truthful to myself, those fears went away. Of course. They're gone. People may go against me, the whole world may go against me. But as long as I'm true to myself, I don't have to fear anything. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's interesting because the prison and the prison and the prison, that was one factor and it was quiet and it was private. And then you broke those shackles and now you are who you need to be at least. You're evolving into that person still, aren't you? Yes. And then you encounter other difficulties which were not in the prison. Could you share a little bit of those? There were a lot of difficulties I faced. I was prepared because I knew that people are not going to accept the truth. It said truth is always bitter. We are so used to living in this fake world that somebody says something true and they say, oh my God, that person said this. People are not ready to accept the truth. That's an unfortunate thing. But I said, I'm not going back on it. People were coming and telling me, please go and tell that whatever you said was wrong. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Why should I? Then it is something true. Mm -hmm. If I want orange, it is orange. You cannot make it black. I said, I'm not going to go back and tell that I've said something wrong. And on the contrary, I will say what I said was true. There was something that you shared. You were interviewed by Oprah Winfrey three times. Yes. And as a result of her first interview, there were laws that were enacted in India yeah. for the LBGTQ community. Yeah, yeah. Then they rolled it back. Then you went back on her show again. And then they made some changes. Yeah. And you went back again for her to look into your journey. But there is one thing that Oprah said, which was really, really endearing. And she said, I've interviewed the tops of the tops, the Bill Clintons, the this, the that. But you were one of the most honest people I've ever interviewed. How did that make you feel? That is one of the best compliments I've ever received from anyone in my life. Mm -hmm. And that is something which has given me even more strength. When people say, oh, this kind of problems is coming to you. I said, whatever problems will come to me, I will face it. Because in Hindi, there is a phrase which we often use, Satya Meva Jayate. Truth will always win. So honesty, Oprah, she observed it. Yes, I'm not a fake person. People had scared me when I was going on a show. Oprah is a very difficult woman. She will like it really, will drill you. And I said, what will she do to me? I'm an open person. I'm an open individual. What is she going to drill out of me? Yeah, it was a wonderful interview. She made me feel so comfortable. She was a wonderful person and she gave me so much of positive energy, that positive aura I could feel around her. Yes, she definitely has She has that positive aura, which you have to experience it. This was one of the best compliments I could ever get. I mean, imagine interviewing so many people in so many years of her life and then telling me that. But we feel that. We feel that with you. We spent the day together today, and I enjoyed every minute of it. 
And you shared with me a story that was very heartwarming. Just because your whole energy, everyone, his energy is just so warm and loving and and truthful and kind. And remember I said something to you at lunch today, and I said, because of your vibration and the person that you are, even if anyone was to do anything bad to you, they would do a turnaround. Yes. Their conscience would hit them. Tell us that story you told me at lunch about the guy who came to do you some harm. One of the obstacles... One of the was, many. Many of the <laughs> many, which I was facing other than my effigies getting burnt and getting thrown out and disinherited. I started receiving death threats. Now, very interestingly, when I made a statement in the newspaper, I said, I may be the first member of a royal family to come out openly as gay, but not the only one. Which meant that there were many royals who were hiding in their closet. I jokingly use the word, a lot of queens hiding in the royal <laughs> closet. And they were literally scared. They said, now this guy has become shameless and he's talking about these issues and time will come when the entire royal families of India, their reputation will be tarnished and we need to silence him. And they tried their best, but I wasn't getting silenced. And then they said, now the only way to silence is kill him. So I started getting death threats that you better shut up, otherwise we will kill you. I said, okay. Fine, I mean, killing me is not going to stop the LGBT movement. On the contrary, it's going to get even stronger. So I don't mind if my life is taken. No big deal about it. But I was cautious also. I used to check my brakes of the car and uh, just be cautious and be aware of things. Otherwise, I said, whatever will have to happen, will happen. I don't need to be killed by somebody. I die some other way yeah, also. You know, yeah. the death is nobody's hand. How you will die and where you will die, nobody can say. So, a sign. One day I was just sitting by somewhere and one guy comes to me and says, Sir, I want to discuss something with you. So I said, yeah, please go ahead. He said, no, no, there are a lot of people. Can I come in a secluded plot and I want to talk to you something very confidentially. I said, okay, let's go somewhere. And then we went to some a part. Then he confided to me, I want to tell you something very important. I was hired to kill you. I said, okay. So now what's the plan? I'm here. I'm available to you. You can check my pockets. I don't have any guns or weapons or anything for self-defense. I'm just standing in front of you. Do your job. He said, no, sir, it failed. So I said, okay, what is the next step? He said, I have been living this for such a long time. I have been feeling extremely guilty for what I was supposed to do. And I have come here for seeking forgiveness, for mm -hmm. seeking pardon, because he said, I cannot die unless you pardon me. I have literally forced myself to come. I didn't know how to face you, but I have come with this hope that you're going to forgive me. Mm -hmm. I said, come, let's go and have coffee. Together. <laughs> and we had coffee. He has become an ally to the LGBT community. Wow. I, I didn't even want to know who had hired you, nothing. Fine, you come here, you accepted your guilt. I said, you are most eligible to get pardoned. Yeah. And today he's become an ally. So I have coined one word which I often use, homophobia in transition. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, this person was, somebody was hired to take my life, which is most important. I mean, you can get a husband, you can get a house, but you cannot get a life. But he's become my ally now. I love this story because it speaks volumes about the content of your character. And it's interesting that you are in service to a community that has struggled for thousands of years to feel comfortable in the role that they've been given to play, number one. 
And number two, things are opening up now. There is more acceptance. There is more understanding of the community. But there's also a need for support, counseling, protection, shelter. And you opened up a charity and you're involved with so many charities. Human trafficking is one, which is near and dear to your heart. But tell us a little bit about the Laksha Trust yes. and the foundation that you've started. Yes. So basically, Laksha Trust was started by me and a group of my friends in the year 2000. We are now 22 years old with the aim that we get give a platform to the LGBT community to come together and we can discuss their issues and how we can resolve them. Because in those days, there was nothing like that happening. This was the first organization to start in the state of Gujarat from where I am, which is in the western part of India. Luckily for us, we got government support, which was never expected. When we were all treated as criminals by law, the government comes and supports us because HIV had spread in our country very fast, very rapidly. And government realized that if they need to protect us and reduce the infections from spreading, they need to reach out to groups and organizations which are working with vulnerable populations. And amongst them was our population, the homosexual population, the transgender population. So HIV came as a blessing in disguise mm-hmm. to us. That's how we started Laksha Trust with HIV prevention amongst the homosexual and transgender population. But then we thought we should go a step further and go beyond sexual health. And we worked for mental health issues. We have worked for aging issues. We also are one of the first organizations in India to start working for the wives of gay men. Because 80% of gay men in India are married to women. And most of them are forced because of parents' pressures and all. And we are also doing a program for transgenders. Again, government has been quite supportive in that because I think trans rights came much before the gay rights came. So we have a shelter home exclusively for the transgender, which was inaugurated by the government, Wonderful. Uh, Ministry of Social Justice Empowerment. And we were the first organization to have a shelter home. So our shelter, whether it is for trans people or for anyone, aim is to provide not just food and shelter, but to see that how we could give them empowerment through job opportunities, through skill buildings, so that this is a transit home for them. We give them that confidence so that they can go out and face the homophobic world. Because see, homophobia is going to bound to be there. We will not be able to eliminate it totally. But we can at least give confidence to these individuals to face the world. So that is what Laksha is doing amongst many other things. So even though the government is supporting it, how can the public support it? It has to be a combination of everyone. We can't just depend on government. We have to take support from a lot of groups. For that reason, I think one of the things which I'm doing now is creating allies. Ally for me is a very important individual or an organization or institution who is not from the LGBT community. Because if I keep telling people, please support us, please accept us, they will say, well, you are gay, you will naturally tell something in your favor. But if an ally tells, then people take it seriously. And I see you as a very important ally. If you tell people that please support them, people will take it seriously, they will listen to you. So I'm trying to create allies because it is allies who will help us mainstream our issues in the society. We need allies and we are creating allies in political parties, parliamentarians, religious leaders, educational institutions, media, parents. Parents are one of our very good allies. We have an organization in India now, which is similar to PFLAG, which is an organization started by parents. Those parents who have accepted their children as gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, 
and these parents are helping out other parents wonderful if a mom speaks to another mom i think she can convince that other mom much better than i can convince the mom sure other. sure because they're going yeah. through it together exactly so yeah. they're experiencing it i have to say that your openness and naturalness reeks loudly with such value and authenticity which is refreshing for any community period one of the things that i loved is that you also love meditation and yoga and i think one of the things you should do is to become a voice to tell everyone not just in the lbgtq community but the importance of meditation tell me why meditation yoga your spiritual practice is so important to you yeah i think you asked a very relevant question and especially to a person like me see i was undergoing a lot of mental stress and i was disturbed first of all with a broken marriage with a woman <laughs> and then coming to terms with my sexuality and then having a nervous breakdown and all all points of time i realized that if i need to be balanced in my life if i need to be stable then i have to adopt some methods which will keep me in that form and then i don't kind of give up or lose hope these practices has definitely helped me and i don't call myself religious but i call myself spiritual yeah i believe in a higher reality i believe that there is something which is beyond our soul that supreme soul is there which is yeah. controlling us and with that belief in mind and of course practices like meditation and yoga have tremendously helped me to maintain that equilibrium the balance between mental and physical spiritual moral and total health as i call it i was fortunate to have been trained in one of india's very old and renowned institute called the yoga institute in mumbai where i was living those principles which i have not just implemented in my life but i share it with people so that if i have benefited with that then i'm sure it will help other people as well so i've been spreading the word i didn't want to call myself a teacher mm-hmm. but my yoga teacher from whom i learned he said no we need to spread awareness yeah which will help other individuals if you have helped then it's our duty to help other people as well absolutely so i started doing that and i think that is one of the reasons how i was able to win the hearts of the people of rajpipla even after i came out and i suffered the brick back i remember there was a documentary film which was done on me they cover all aspects of me not just sexuality but me as a musician i also play the harmonium and yoga and meditation and organic farming and at the end of the film it was the producer who thought about this favorite word of me based on what people have told her they ended the film saying the people's prince oh it's beautiful <laughs> so beautiful. i like doing that i like being in public i like helping people in whatever i have been helped from yeah i noticed uh, that you're very comfortable wherever you are and that's a powerful gift to say the least it's very powerful looking into the future What does Prince Manvendra Singh Gohil of the Rajpipla dynasty wish for within the next 5 years? What do you feel is the next thing for you? Next thing as a LGBT rights activist, I will first talk about the short term and then I will talk about the long term. Of course, I am fighting for the LGBT rights as a rights based activist, but I'm not just LGBT rights activist. I also call myself more as a human rights activist, working for many causes like animal rights, tribal rights, women rights, all those who have been not privileged enough. I would like to see that 
whether you're an animal, you're a human, or even say plant or a living thing. There's equality, they have given their due rights, their rights are not violated, and there's no discrimination happening. That is my short-term goal. My long-term, I have been getting this feeling, and I think I shared it with you in the past also, that this keeps coming to me very often. I always feel that I would like to see peace. Peace is something which keeps coming. When I say peace, it's not just about wars happening. All kinds of internal peace, external peace, peace within yourself yeah. and amongst others, peace and brotherhood. I would like to see a world which has total peace and there's brotherhood. I even imagine the worst people together who are kind of having fun. When I imagine, I feel really happy. Even if I imagine it, may or may not happen, I don't know. But even my imagination, I feel happy. And I think for me, mental satisfaction of seeing others happy makes me feel happy. Beautiful. That's the way I look at it. Well, you are an absolute gift to our planet. And we thank you so much for the work that you are doing now, but also for the work that you will be called to do. Your courage, your authenticity, your honesty, your warmth are the qualities that are needed to help people to accept everything. We need to stop being very critical and judgmental because people are just different. And I think now we need to recognize that there's beauty in the difference and that the difference is actually evolving us into becoming a better society. So we thank you for your seva, your contribution, and your heart. Is there anything else that you'd like to say before we close off? I always like to say one thing to all those who listen to me. Please love yourself. I do that. I love myself. I am a kind of a narcissist. I look <laughs> at myself in the mirror and I just love myself. If you are able to love yourself, I think you'll be able to love so many other people. You'll be able to reduce hatred. You'll be able to reduce phobia. And you'll definitely would contribute towards making this beautiful earth a more beautiful place to live. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That was such a heartwarming interview and time well spent. If you get a chance, you'll be able to also get some candid moments of me spending the day with Prince Mandendra today. I've learned how being a beautiful heart makes an atmosphere a much better space. And I have to tell you this, that if you ever wake up one day or find yourself judging yourself or judging others, boy, have you lost the purpose of being here. So I'm just inviting all of you, if you've not learned anything from this interview, learn one thing, acceptance. But maybe be a little bit also as a narcissist. Look in the mirror every day and say, I just love myself. See what might just come out where you'll be able to forgive your enemies in a second, because that's exactly what love will do. Thank you so much for joining us on air today. Remember to leave us a message of whatever questions or ideas or thoughts or feedback that you took from the show today. And remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And I suspect that we're really here to cultivate the ability to love everybody the same. Take care. Thank you for joining us. When I was asked by Sacred Stories Publishing to write a book on mystical divine experiences, initially I said, no, those are too private. But then when they came back again to urge me to do it, I said, why not? It'll be of service because over 25 co-authors would would be joining me on this journey to share their own experiences. In meditation, intimate experiences with the divine through contemplative practices 
you will read stories from our co-authors of a heartful clarity about a father's death giving his son a new life. You will hear the story of a woman embracing her wounded inner child and healing herself. You will even hear stories about an inexplicable medical miracle and so much more. This book has a life of its own. You will learn how listening to your inner silence can help you overcome life obstacles and reclaim your spiritual power. I hope that you'll be able to dive deep into this and maybe even explore your own mystical and divine experiences for your life to change, for your life to become one that is completely full and rich of everything good. Enjoy, and thank you for looking into meditation, intimate experiences with the divine through contemplative practices. Happy Holidays, located at 6838 Piedmont in Gainesville, Virginia. We're a family-owned restaurant and offer authentic Asian cuisine and sushi. Come, savor our delicacies made with love and enjoy the perfect ambiance. We look forward to seeing you there. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.